You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. To close the half. Maher. The hooks, it's good. It's got a hook. And it's in! Just in time. Four for four in his career from 60 and beyond. Oh, wait a minute. Are they saying there's a second left? Oh, the replay stopped it, maybe Jim, for the previous play? You want to see me do it again? Happy Victory Tuesday, Cowboys Nation. We keep all days victorious after the Cowboys completely dominate a game like that. I mean, we are talking 40 to 3. Welcome to the Writer's Block Podcast. Speaking of dominating things, uh, we are here to dominate your morning, your afternoon, your night, whatever you uh, or whatever you're listening to this, to talk all things Dallas Cowboys and Vikings. And then, of course, we're going to get into the Giants Thanksgiving Day game a little bit as well. Of course, I am Jess. You can find me at JessNavars underscore on Twitter. And this would not be the Writer's Block Podcast without my amazing, incredible co-host and part-time therapist, uh, Brandon Laurie. Brandon, how the heck are you doing? Oh my goodness, I'm still so pumped from that win. I'm going to put a part-time therapist on my resume now. It might uh, inflate, a, a pique some interest of, of some good people. No, I. you know what? I think that was the um, that was the most complete win I think I've seen in a very long time for the Dallas Cowboys. I from top to bottom, from start to finish, I wrote down and we'll get into some headlines and stuff like that, but I wrote that this game was over a minute and fifty two seconds into the game, and that was exactly the moment when Micah Parsons hit Kirk Cousins from behind and, and it caused a strip sack fumble. And I think that immediately when the Vikings were trying to set the tone by starting on offense, they're coming from an emotional victory in Buffalo that they probably shouldn't have won, but they found a way to win and they're coming in and they're coming in as the underdogs at eight and one at home, which is unheard of. So they had something to prove. They're like, we're going to put our best on your best and we're going to beat you. Well, no, our best was just a little bit better. And it's fitting that our episode right now, this is number 11 of the season and you know, number 11 had himself a day. So I, I was just all around, I think shocked is the word. Um, I picked them to lose because coming from the, the green Bay game, I was just looking back and I know our podcast last week I was listening back to I was like man we were down like our in energy and everything and I know I was remote you know everybody we had Dave uh, Halman on and and it's just we were a little down because I think that we were just like I said we we took a, a gut punch uh, last week and to see the Cowboys respond in that way in just a bombshell fashion dropping 40 points on an eight and one team uh, was pretty special to watch and I'm sure we'll get into it. Oh, yeah. And uh, not to mention that the Cowboys kept this streak alive of uh, winning 
at U.S. Bank Stadium yeah. since 2010. The Vikings have yet to beat the Cowboys at home since 2010. I just love that so, so much because, you know, we always talk about uh, last week speci- specifically, you heard that all over again, how there's just certain teams that own your number. And with the Cowboys, it seems like it's Green Bay uh, every single time. However, some positive news this week. It just seems like the Cowboys own the Vikings number. And I think this was a great, the perfect game, actually, for them to go out and prove, hey, we are serious about playing all three phases of this game. We know how to do it. We are going to stop this media madness that is saying that we can't and that we're not legit playoff contenders because – Look, a team doesn't just play like that against an eight and one team and win to that much to that extent. I mean, you're talking the largest deficit that this Vikings team has seen all season with 17 points. Cowboys put 40 on them. Just and, and not only that, holding an eight and one team to three points. Y'all, I don't think we're ever going to see another game like this for the next few years. And that's just because it's such a rare game. It's such a rare game that you get that a team to that, I mean, uh, value, I'll say with the Vikings, you win to that extent. It's beautiful. And, uh, you know what? I, I hope we see more of those games. It's just, that's the kind of game you wait years to see as a Cowboys fan. I can't remember a better game than that. Uh, just in the time I've been watching football. So there was that, but you know what I wanted to ask you was, there were obviously a lot of very good moments in this game, and <laughs> that made our our top ten rankings very hard. I know I struggled Ab- so hard. With absolutely, this but <laughs> great problem to have. But what moment stood out to you the most? Whether it be positive um, or even more negative for the Vikings, like either one. Was it the Vikings playing as bad as they were? Was it the Cowboys? you know, a certain moment within the game, what stood out to you the most and why? Yeah, I, I think like I already mentioned, the the strip sack that Micah had, we could start with that, how in the post game, Micah and D-Law were asked, you know, like after that moment, like did it seem like that everything was falling into place for the defense? And they can kind of tell that they were like, yeah, Kirk didn't look the same. Kirk Cousins didn't look the same um, when he was dropping back. He looked scared. And, and you could see when you watch the game back, when you watch the live copy, all 22, all that stuff you could just see Kirk as he's throwing he's kind of ducking every time he releases the ball and that's why a lot of balls were flying a lot of balls were hitting the ground so you could see he was playing scared um the whole game I think also too the way that the Cowboys responded in the second half I I wanted to talk about that too how yes the the field goal which we will talk about the double double field goal uh you know the 60 yarder that Brett Maher hit twice Coming out of that, like that was a big moment, but to to get ten points, um, a ten point swing where you get points on the back half of the first half, and then to come out on the second half, that first drive, the Vikings defense played the Cowboys very well. Like Patrick Peterson was uh, cutting, you know, wide receiver screens. Or I think it, it might have been a Tony Pollard screen, and like they, they were, I think it was third and thirteen, something like that, third and and twelve. Um, and Dak throws that beautiful pass to Tony Pollard one-on-one with the linebacker. And it's like, all right, this, this game, there's no question after that moment, this is strictly the Cowboys playing and, and playing with like house money at that point. And even to see the, the fans the Vikings fans just sitting there and just defeated Cowboys fans came out 
And they were loud. It, it was great to hear and see. And maybe it's because they played in Green Bay the week before. And they're just like, ah, we'll stay in the area. We'll just double dip here, which is great for them, um, for all the fans that wanted to do that. But I just think that moment where, you know, the Vikings could have got the ball back. Um, at that point, it was 23-3. to If they stop them there, get the punt, then you never know. You know, if they score, it's 10 points or uh, 10 to 23. And, you know, momentum could shift in, in an instant. And that's a loud environment to play in. So the fact that Dallas was able to suck all the air out of the stadium I think that was a key moment for me I look back and I was like man that that really showed something yeah and you know something I I just unfortunately have become notorious for talking about is penalties but what was nice was to be on the other side of that this week and seeing the position the stress the pressure that this vikings team was under because of the cowboys whether it be the defense whether it be the offense i mean they were stressing they were stressing they were biting right into specifically the cowboys defensive bait for those false start penalties they were biting right into it and you know i was actually talking to a big football genius over the weekend during the game and uh, he used the term you're going to love this, Brandon. I've been waiting to tell you this all day. He used the term, there is mustard on the lettuce today. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I, I have never heard it. absolutely never heard that in my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let me explain. I was like, what are you talking about? The penalty flag is yellow. The grass is green. So there is mustard on the lettuce just means there's a lot of penalties Sure. I can kind of connect the dots a little bit. I can appreciate okay. the, the symbolism a little bit. So what I'm going to say here, and I've been waiting all day to tell you this, is the mustard on the lettuce caused for a beautiful Cowboys 40 burger. Oh. Uh... Um, I dropped the ball there. Look, I've been waiting to tell you that all day, but... <laughs> You know, to, to be completely serious, it was nice to see that the Cowboys were back to their strength, which personally, uh, you know, it's playing mind games. It is playing these mind games to keep the other side of the ball guessing. So on the offense, you had your one-two punch back with Zeke and Tony, right? But the beautiful part of how they utilized Tony Pollard on Sunday was, well, you didn't know if he was going to play running back or wide receiver, that's a mind game in itself. On the other side of the ball with the defense, you don't know where Mike is coming from. He was back to just rushing those edges and just so quickly putting pressure on Kirk Cousins. The entire D-line was playing mind games with poor Kirk Cousins. I do not want to be him or any opposing quarterback that has to face that defense because that was their strength. If we go back to weeks ago when we first started talking about this defense, it was mentally the amount of work that these offenses have to put into trying to read this Dan Quinn scheme, which is absolutely chaotic with the amount of versatility within it. So to me, it was going back to the mind games that was creating penalties for the second least penalized team in the NFL. So if that doesn't tell you something, look, y'all, me harping on penalties, it comes in handy sometimes, and it's fun to hear when it's not about the Cowboys. I see your mustard on lettuce, and I raise you that DQ brought the blizzard uh, to Minnesota. Oh, oh uh, Stop. We did not both just have food puns ready for yes, this episode. Uh, we, I'm so hungry now. We, That's we, amazing. I know. I'm feeling some ice cream. Uh, they... 
the defense, like you talked about, was just hectic. It was chaos. They brought the chaos with them. Uh, I don't know how, how they fit it in all their bags and their carry-ons. Maybe it, it got through TSA, but, you know, they were able to just bring all of it with them from Dallas. And, you know, the defense had seven sacks, which that was the most that Kirk Cousins have, has ever been sacked in his career. Uh, 13 quarterback hits, eight tackles for loss, four pass defense, all to go along with three points allowed the lowest I believe of the season uh, for them and I was looking I saw a stat today that the most sacks through 10 games in an NFL season you have the Bills in 2014 the Panthers in 2019 49ers in 2019 Jags in 2017 and then the Cowboys atop the list with 42 in 2022 so you know and those those teams the Bills and the Panthers 9 and 7 and 5 and 11 no playoff appearances but when you look at that 49ers team from 2019 we all remember that that was an elite defense that's what brought them all the way to the Super Bowl you know they leaned on that defense and for the most part in that game when they were playing Patrick Mahomes it was like the defense is special like you can see what a great defense does to an offense but then he was able to do his Mahomes magic and and end up winning but then also the Jaguars team that was the Jaguars team where everyone was like are the Jaguars with Blake Bortles like a legitimate team and it just shows how much the defense can carry a team and they went all the way to the AFC championship game and ended up losing to the Patriots so the, the offense doesn't have to do much. And, you know, we're talking about the defense, but also I think Dak Prescott played a flawless game. You know, when you look at how he was playing, he was playing so much different than when he was playing in Green Bay a week before. And I just, I, I also think that this team doesn't play well in the cold weather. You know, it's just something about maybe they're, you know, they, they live in Texas. They're from Texas. They play indoors. Maybe they're just not used to it. When you play in Green Bay, it's a very tough environment. You're very limited in what you have to do. But he wasn't forcing anything. I saw that there were multiple times where he had a swing pass, especially the touchdown to Tony Pollard. He's going through his progression. He's going through his reads, and he's not forcing anything. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to take the dump pass off to Tony Pollard and just have put the ball in your playmaker's hands. And he was able to score on the play 25 yards out. So that's what you can do when you're not thinking too much. And I think that this game showed that Dak was just – like in free flow mode. Like he was just going through his progressions, hitting all the right reads. Slants didn't look difficult. He's putting balls in position for his receivers to only be the ones to get it. And if not, it's just incomplete and you, you live to fight another down. So I thought Dak played a flawless game as well too, and just did enough so that you just, you orchestrate the offense, let the run game do its work and then let the defense in the front line, you know, just dominate the rest of the game. And speaking of that, can we talk about the third down efficiency within this game? It looked How rough for a little bit. Like in the very beginning, I was I was kind of like, uh, is this going to be like an all day thing? But no, you're right. I mean, that that ended up being great. Yeah, I mean, you're I'm looking at the stats now. I'm going to pull them up because this is mind blowing. And, and, you know, this is something that this team, the Cowboys team specifically, has struggled with throughout the duration of this season so far. Third down efficiency, 12 of 17 for the Cowboys. Third down efficiency for the Vikings. Y'all, this is real. This is a real stat. I'm not just making this up. You can Google it. Um, one of 11 I, for the I'm Vikings. I'm just looking at that now. I didn't realize it was that bad. And I understand that, you know, when Nick Mullins came in, like a lot of that has to deal with it. But still, like, that's insane. That's it was ridiculous. that bad. Oh, it wow. was that bad. And you even get, continue on with these stats. And what I love about these stats too, and you know, I'll get more into this when we do our power rankings is they are already beautiful to look at, but they still don't tell the whole story of this game and what a domination it was for the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys having 458 total yards, the Vikings 183 
my gosh, I just can't. I, I can't. Uh, time of possession, this is something that um, I know personally I always preach about is, is so important for a game. 37 minutes and 24 seconds for the Cowboys, 22 minutes and 36 seconds for the Vikings. Absolutely insane what happens when you play complimentary football. I mean, this was all three phases at their absolute best. You had offense, which was just clicking, and your wide receivers. It, it's so interesting to go back and even look at those stats because um, CD said this a few weeks ago in one of his interviews of, yeah, we're all wide receiver ones. You know, like, he doesn't just see himself as the only one. He sees his other teammates and, you know, Noah Brown, Michael Gallup as equals. This was a perfect example of that within this game. I mean, they were all just such dominant threats for this Vikings defense, right? They could not contain the passing game. They could not contain it. Oh, my goodness. Nobody was getting into that pocket. Nobody was touching Dak. Shout out to the O-line. Absolutely amazing to, to see there. And then where does all that start, though? Let's, let's reverse it back. I got a little excited. The run game. The run game. It came from the run game, people. It came from your one-two punch of Tony Paul, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Finally, you saw why both parts are so important. And, you know, you can sit there and make the argument, you know, Tony Pollard's running back one, whatever. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they have two different strengths. And I will die on this hill. I will say it until y'all finally hear it because it doesn't have to be a competition. You need both of them. Zeke was wearing down that defense so much on Sunday. I mean, he was pushing and pounding that pocket. Like, y'all, he was wearing him down. That It was just the physicality this man plays with is insane when you go back and you watch. Again, that one-two punch was in full force. That, of course, opens up the RPO, the run pass option for Dak, for all the wide receivers. I mean, it was just such a beautifully played game, game by Dak Prescott. All kudos to him. He looked his best physically. And mentally, and I don't know if it was that new little dance that he was doing. I don't know if you saw that video. We have a new little Dak dance, and if that works every time, Dak, please do it every single time. Yeah, no, the Dak dance was cool. Uh, I, you brought up the one-two punch. When you combine their yardage total and everything, it's like it's one back. You know, 122 yards, two touchdowns, and then two reception touchdowns, four total. I mean, that's what Elliott was producing back as a rookie, back in 2017, stuff like that. And, you know, he's older. He, you can see that he doesn't do the same things. He's not as an explosive. And he he did look really good in certain plays, but he's not as explosive as a Tony Pollard. But on the goal line, Tony Pollard's not as dominant as, as Zeke is and as a wrecking ball as Zeke is. And you could see that, you know, Pollard really wanted that goal line touchdown the first one. And then they're like, no, on third down, like we're sending Zeke in. Like no more fooling around with us. And and even the one that he had to spin to the outside, it's like he is able to take on contact and force himself in that position. You know, the third and ones, the third and twos, like he's the guy that you want in there. And Pollard can do it too. I remember there was one third down play where he like forced himself and drove into Harrison Smith and he's like shoulder first, like down. And that's the thing. People think Tony Pollard's a small guy. Like, no, he's a stout back. Like he is really physically uh, dominant. It's just the fact that he's not as big as Zeke, but that's perfectly fine. That's totally okay. I just like the fact that with Elliot back, they're not trying to force Elliot 60, 40. It's more 50, 50. They both had 15 carries yesterday, which was, which was great to see. And Zeke was the first one to wear him down. And then as soon as 
they got a little bit of elite, it was the Tony Pollard show. And you just, you see that Tony's like, Hey, you know what? I've been doing this on the ground all the time. Let me show you what I got as a receiver. And he goes off for 120 yards or 109 yards, something like that. So the other two things I want to bring up and I'll get your perspective on is just, I think fans were looking for a statement win. You look at the Green Bay game, I think that we were looking for the Cowboys to win that game. It's like, oh, we finally got Aaron Rodgers as our statement game. And then you look at this game after losing last week, it's like, well, you know, what's our statement game this season? This was your statement game. This is what you can kind of hang your hat on moving forward. And however the rest of the season plays out, just like last season, the New England game was the litmus test. Like, okay, New England is a a good team. They they were a playoff team last year, but definitely not what it was like versus Tom Brady, but it's still Bill Belichick. We saw what Bill Belichick has done to other teams in the past, and the Cowboys were able to beat him in New England. That was a great win. And it's like you compare everything to that after that. So you can compare everything to this game and try and figure out, okay, where they stack up. But I'll also look at everybody's leaving this game healthy. The the quick turnaround, we mentioned the the Giants game coming up on Thanksgiving, which is the best holiday in Cowboys Nation. Uh, but you look at coming into the game, people, this bug that they're dealing with, like this illness, it popped up on the injury report for them. It seems like it's it's hitting the whole locker room. So we'll see who is good for, for Thursday. But outside of the guys like a Bohanna and a Terrell Basham, like nobody's really leaving this game bagged up. You know, uh, Micah was a little injured towards the tail end, but he went back in the game. And uh, afterwards, it was reported that he's doing okay. So they're leaving this game healthy, going into a, a quick turnaround with pretty much all their players. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow in practice when they're actually trying to do maybe either walkthrough or a practice. But I think that that's something else to take forward with this too. Yeah. And one thing I will say, and, you know, this this season really changed my perspective about Mike McCarthy. Um, if you know me, if you have followed me and, and uh, you keep me humble by bringing up old tweets. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, I got called out for for uh, talking about Brett Money Maher. But but you know what? I what I didn't see was a screenshot of the tweet of me saying I was wrong. Exactly. Daddy. We so, learn, we grow, we move on, you know? Facts. Right. We only look <laughs> forward around here. But um, you know, back to my point of Mike McCarthy has really convinced me of the kind of coach you want to be coaching this team because Obviously, the culture is great, and and I'm sure you've heard that echoed all over the Cowboys media. The players are bought into it, sure, but he really prioritized his injury, which to me within the NFL is so – any pro sport really is so important because these guys are putting so much on the line with their bodies every single day. Their job is is to bang up their bodies, and – Mike McCarthy is the kind of head coach and and his entire coaching staff. They will never sit there and send a player out that is remotely injured to the point of, Hey, this could be season ending, but more importantly, this could be life altering for what you have going on post football. And I have so much respect for Mike McCarthy, his coaching staff, the medical staff within the Cowboys organization that makes those decisions because it really is top priority for them. These players health, I can wholeheartedly say it is so top priority and it really shows. So um, yeah, Micah, Micah a little banged up, give us all a heart attack. Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> I had to check my pulse there for a second, but um, you know, this is the time of the season where injuries really start to play out because a lot of guys are so banged up, so banged up because they're taking such physical beatings week in and week out. And then, you know, they, they have the injury and, and you don't have the time 
with a bye week anymore to rely on on healing, you know? And especially within these last three games that have been played within 12 days by the time Thanksgiving rolls around. That is such... Uh, that is just such a recipe for injuries. Um, but yeah, the, the Cowboys walked out of that game healthy from what we know so far. Um, but yeah, it's it's very exciting to see. It's very uplifting for all spirits. I will say the Cowboys, uh, this, the star was was a much more lighthearted, lighthearted place to be in uh, today than it was last week. <laughs> you you bring up the the health issue, and the other thing is, you know, early on in the game, uh, Chrissy Scales reported it uh, before in, on 105.3, the fan. She said that uh, they were going to rotate Kelvin Joseph in for a couple series with Anthony Brown because Anthony Brown is coming back from concussion. It was talked about that he possibly could have come back into the game against Green Bay, but they held him out because of the protocol and everything. And again, looking at the coaching staff there, they have their players best interest in mind, first and foremost. So for them to do that. And then very quickly, you see that with Kelvin Joseph, there is you know still the problems with the development at, at the cornerback position. They were targeting him. He had the penalty. And then Anthony Brown came in the game and everything seemed to be OK. So coming out of it you're like the coaching staff even in a game that's a must-win situation with these two great wide receivers for the Vikings they still will say no we will rotate just to make sure our player isn't in harm's way and you look at even the Vikings offensive lineman Christian Darisaw he was dealing with a concussion after last week's game comes into the game and then leaves very early on with a concussion and is immediately ruled out you look at Los Angeles with the Rams you see someone like Matt Stafford is dealing with a a concussion two weeks ago he misses last week's game, and then he leaves this week, uh, this weekend with another concussion. So it's like there's a lot of teams that are trying to find out the the media. And again, you know, I'm not degrading anybody's practice or anything, saying that they're not following protocol. It's just it's refreshing to hear Mike McCarthy say all these things, put players first, and that's first and foremost with how he's thinking. And even look at Anthony Barr. You know, the guy was trying to come back and play Minnesota, and he tweaks his hamstring in practice on Saturday, and they immediately shut him down. Doesn't look like he's going to play on Thursday. But, like, they, they are so player first, and it's such a refreshing attitude. And I think the players buy into that. They're like, we know that if we're banged up, like, it promotes honesty. You know, I think the the one thing is you don't want to to have the fear of a player say, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, and then all of a sudden they tweak something and it's a it's a lengthier injury. So I think that when you have that transparent coach, it's a symbiotic relationship to say, hey, if something's bothering you, like we have depth, like we have guys that can perform and step up in your place. And I think that's what we saw with Zeke and the the pain management. You know, with him, he could have come back last week, uh, but they said, you know what, we're going to sit you out for another week and then just relax and look how great he looked on Sunday. So I think that he's he's done a great job in that area, and you, you bring up a great point. Yeah, and I think that, too, is is echoed within all of his press conferences. Anytime there's an injury, he says it's a constant conversation with these guys. I constantly am talking to them about their progress. I'm talking to the doctors. I'm talking to the surgeons, if that's involved. You know, there's constant communication about it. And what I love about it, too, is Mike McCarthy doesn't just factor in the physical injury. It's the mental side of things as well, and we've seen that. We saw that this season with Michael Gallup and saying, hey, I'm not ready this week. Men- like Physically, I'm ready. Mentally, not quite there. I'm sorry, but it is so rare for any head coach to sit there and be like, okay, that's fine. We can wait one more week. I mean, really, that is so rare. And given maybe it was the timing of the season, being early on and all of that, but to me, it just, it makes me respect coach McCarthy so, so much. So yeah, definitely, definitely good stuff there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go into our top 10 power rankings because, my goodness, it was so hard to pick 10 people. Y'all, I'm so sorry if I offend anybody with my top 10. There's going to be a lot of offense. Yeah. Exactly. Because, like, (laughs) this is so much fun to do when they're winning, right? But it's also so stressful because you know you're leaving well-deserving guys out of it. So, Brandon... I'm going to do you the honors to go first. Uh, Yeah, make me the bad guy to start. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you have at 10, 9, and 8 for your top 10 power rankings, all things Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, the the 10 spot was really difficult because it's like when you get down, like I like starting at the top, and even the top was really tough to kind of pick, okay, who's who's number one, number two, number three. Um, but number 10 was the most difficult cause you don't want to leave guys out, you know, and I used to do honorable mentions, but I felt like that that was a scapegoat. Like the top 10 is the top 10. And so for me at number 10, I have CD lamb and I know that the wide receivers didn't put out the best numbers statistically, but I look at more of the storyline that was being told the week before how lamb is in this miscommunication with Dak Prescott. He's running the wrong routes. Michael Irvin's calling him out and saying, no, that's on 88. And he's hearing this all week on top of, again, what's constantly being reported about Odell Beckham and the Cowboys' interest. And it's like, this is the number one guy. Uh, Amari Cooper in the early afternoon window has blown up for 100 yards, a touchdown. And, like, he's going to be compared to Amari Cooper. He's going to be compared to everybody that was drafted. The guy across from him and Justin Jefferson, the, the historic season he's having. But for him to have five of five, Yes, on Sunday, you know, five targets, five catches. Everything was crucial. And not to mention the the toe tap sideline catch. There was a stat that I heard on Around the NFL podcast by Next Gen Stats. It said that on that sideline catch, his arms were already 1.1 yards out of bounds, which is the most for a reception like that in three years in the NFL. Like he was already out of bounds when he caught it. And that's why when I looked at the replay, I see Patrick Peterson, like he's not even going for the ball. It's like in his mind, I wonder if it was a case like, no, is he really going to catch this ball? Like this is going to be out of bounds. And he just stands there. He just literally looks at the ball going past him. And I felt like saying like, what are you doing? Like, you're not going to look at the ball and try and like, deflected out of bounds but lamb makes that beautiful catch it set it sets up the field goal and like great throw by Dak but an even better catch by lamb and I think when we look back at that play like we'll remember the field goal that was after it we'll remember the throw by Dak because quarterbacks always get the praise it's like on that play 
CeeDee Lamb might be the third guy on that list, and it was an incredible catch. So I think that moving forward, this just, again, builds his confidence, builds the rapport with Dak, and to show that Dak was able to trust him on a lot of these throws, it builds up more chemistry with them. So I think CeeDee Lamb was a great number 10. Number nine, I had Sam Williams. I think week after week, you could just see the development. And for me, he won me over when it came to the fourth quarter when he got more reps and more playing time with Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons in and out. But he was able to step up in run defense. He was able to knife through a lot of defenders. And that was something where we knew his pass rush ability. And that was where we, he was making a lot of his plays earlier in the season, but to see him defend the run a lot better. And granted there were backups, there were uh, hurt offensive linemen, but these are still NFL offensive linemen. Like these are still guys that play down in and down out and he's a rookie. So he hasn't seen everything yet. He's still learning it, but you could see each and every week Baldy did a Baldy breakdown. And he talked about this too, how you could just see he's getting more refined with his NFL development, which is great moving forward for if DeMarcus Lawrence down the line, once he leaves, like Sam Williams steps in in that spot. Um, so I think that when run defense has been a problem, you can hang your head on that and say, okay, maybe he should be on the edge a little bit more than a Dorrance Armstrong in run situations, stuff like that. Um, and then number eight, a great transition. Thank you, uh, Brandon, for doing that. Uh, Dorrance Armstrong, I have at number eight. Again, another two-sack performance goes right under the radar because, you know, another guy we'll talk about on this list, you know, uh, contended with that number. But I think that we also saw him play the edge a little bit better as well with run defense being the whole problem that we've been talking about the whole week before this game is, you know, the, the edge, uh, defending the edge runs, the outside runs has been a problem, and he stepped up in that area as well. So I have CeeDee Lamb, Sam Williams, Dorrance Armstrong. Those are the three guys I have at the bottom. Oh, man. Okay. So we, I'm just going to say, quick spoiler, we started off very similar, and then it took a very hard left. Okay. So um, y'all are in <laughs> Hey, kind of like the Vikings, episode. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who, who wants to be the Vikings? You yeah. or me? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think either of us do. Skull. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so um, number 10, I also had CD. Um, and, and again, I think he's just gotten so much flack the last, what are we in, week 11 now? I'm so, we're so into the season. I don't know what week it is anymore, y'all. I just know who we're playing next. Anyways, point is, it all bleeds together. But um, toe drag drag swag by CeeDee Lamb. I mean, it doesn't get any prettier than that. And the thing about CD is he plays his best when the entire team and, and, you know, including Dak Prescott is playing their best. And you can just see that when Dak is out of his head and just playing basics and just doing what he knows he can do, these guys play so much better. And CD is a perfect example of that because how many times have we talked about CD, you have to catch that. You have to catch that. You have to catch that on this podcast all over the place, you know, on Twitter especially. But CD caught that. He caught that, and he just did it so, so beautifully. I mean, Christy Scales was talking on Girls Talk, Boys Talk today about how um, – she could she could see it. She couldn't see the toes because of everybody standing in front of her, but she could see the catch happen, and she thought he was out of bounds until she looked back and, you know, saw the replay and sees the little toes dragging. But something we talked about on that podcast today was the awareness and the muscle memory that goes into a catch like that. The awareness of I need to point my feet within a matter of seconds 
seconds. Brandon, I think uh, Lucy would appreciate the pointed toes reference as absolutely a, as, as a theater person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, thought I'd throw that in there, but um, you know what I will say is the the awareness and muscle memory is just absolutely beautiful from CD in that catch. Doesn't get any better than that. Here is where we take a hard left, everybody. Number nine, I had Zeke. And again, y'all, it is so hard to rank these guys one through 10 when they just play so great. Zeke obviously had an impact in this game, obviously wore down the defense. We just went into a whole rant about Zeke and and uh, I will forever die on the one-two punch hill that you need both. You need your yin, your yin and your yang. You need your sun and your moon. You need both of them. But Zeke, welcome back. I mean... This was a perfect example, I think I tweeted this, to why you missed Zeke, especially during the Green Bay game. Given, I still stick with the sediment of sitting him to reserve for injury. I, I still do, but um, Zeke is just such a threat. Zeke is such a physical player. Oh, man, so much love for that guy and, and his sport. It, it's just absolutely amazing to see him at his best like that. It, it's great. But um, number eight, I had Dante Fowler. Oh, y'all, our, our list looked different. But I'm we're just in the gonna... ballpark. We're, we're doing like defensive ends at that spot. You know, yeah. it's like when, when you all get a piece of the pie, like somebody has to be the number, you know? Oh, man, RJ's going to love that you just said pie in here. Don't get him started, please. <laughs> we just got off of that um, for the meantime. But, I mean, hey, he had one sack. And, again, this is a situation of the stats do not reflect – anything that he was doing because the amount of pressure that Dante Fowler was putting on Kirk Cousins life during the day. And then probably for the rest of his life in his nightmares, absolutely terrifying. Dante Fowler again is just somebody that you didn't expect to step up. And I think you could say that a lot about a lot of guys within this team, but man, what an impact player under the radar impact player. Love that uh, very, very much, but moving on, who did you have at seven, six, and five. Uh, uh, I actually, uh, I don't have Elliot on my list. Uh, he, he and Sam Williams at the nine spot, similar <gasps> to yours. Uh, I, I, like you said, it's very tough. I went with the upside of like what we wanted to see. Like we know Zeke, Zeke can do that, but the run defense to me was the most important part. I needed to see improvement in that area. So that's why I gave it to the defense. Same reason why I have at number seven, I have J Ron curse. Um, I thought that he played a great game, not only going against his former team, he did the skull clap and stuff. That was awesome to see. Um, uh, but he w- had the assignment of defending TJ Hawkinson, which again, um, they, they played each other when the Cowboys played the lions earlier in the year. And it's a tough assignment, especially with all the weapons that the Vikings have. Like if it's J Ron curse and TJ Hawkinson, they're usually one-on-one because other guys are having to defend Donovan Wilson might be, you know, getting a running back. Uh, Malik Hooker might be covered downfield to, for a double team. I mean, everybody's all over the place, but J Ron, this was a vintage J Ron game that reminded me of what he was like last year. I don't know if it was cause he had extra armbands on. He looked like he was in a full suit of armor. Um, but I thought he just had a great day defending uh, Hawkinson. And he had that one pass breakup um, in the end zone that I thought was crucial too. So shout out to J Ron. Um, we love you on here uh and also he just seems like he improves each and every week at six i had zach martin and tyler biotis the birthday boys and that was something that i wrote down that i wanted to see in the beginning of the game is like you know when it's your birthday like all the spotlights on you and it's like go go and have yourself a day and these guys did and uh, of course terrence Steele was getting a lot of love from tony romo and he can certainly be on this list this list i had him last week but i want to give tyler biotis some credit um that rollout that dak had with the sort of hail mary sideline 
uh, pass. You could see him roll out and try and block the, the defensive lineman. He slowed him down enough for Dak to make that throw, and he was great in run blocking, pass blocking really good. Again, the offensive line as a whole only allowed one quarterback hit on Dak. They, I think, are right now ranked second for least sacks allowed in the NFL. I believe the Chargers surpassed that, and I forget who's in front of them. They might have changed, but I remember when they were saying on the broadcast they were at second. I mean, that's unbelievable. Not only does the defense lead the NFL in sacks, but the Cowboys' offensive line is not allowing any sacks. So that's a great uh, yin and yang right there. And then at number five, I have Brett Maher. And I know, I know it's, it's tough to put these guys where they're supposed to be, but number I, five on your list, but number one in our hearts. Exactly. Really. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if you guys haven't heard it yet, go check out Jess's Instagram. She had a great interview with Brett Maher. Great questions. The guy is a gem. He's the, he's the apple of our eye. Uh, if you will. He really is. He, yeah. he really, really is such a nice guy. Um, yeah. Money, money, money. Love that. And for that reason, I mean, I wrote down that he's been the definition of prove it you know, for the season. And I think that the Cowboys in itself, like the whole team has had to prove that they are a legitimate contender. Um, even when they were, were on their stretch in the beginning with Cooper rush, it's like, okay, prove that you can win with Cooper rush, prove Dak Prescott that you're a better quarterback than what we've seen. You know, all the, the Tony Pollard prove that you're an NFL running back and Brett Maher from training camp from the get go has had to prove I belong back in the NFL. I belong back with the Cowboys. You know, the last time he was on this team, like there were a lot of hiccups that caused his exit and there were a lot of soul searching going on and he came back and the game that he had going four for four on kicks, four extra points, the guy was eight for eight. And not only that, but he is the NFL history holder record holder for kicks, uh, successful kicks of 60 yard plus. I say that it will always be five for Cowboys fans because of the, you know, BS that was going on with the referees. And I mean, if the Cowboys game was close, I think that play specifically everybody would be talking about as you need to get your stuff together uh nfl you know whatever you know whatever happened there you need to make sure that everything is communicated properly to the referees on the field and not put a kicker in that position where if a coach wants to call a timeout i mean the cowboys called a timeout right before that too so it's like you had extra time to figure out if that was a catch or no catch but if the NFL ices a kicker and they lose by three points, shame on them for that. And, and I'm sure Jerry Jones would have been very upset with that and, and made it very vocal. Um, but to make back-to-back 60-yard kicks, uh, I had a great SpongeBob reference on Twitter. A lot of people picked it up. That was great to see. I thought Fox uh, Sports stole it from me, but they beat me to the punch five minutes earlier. So kudos to them on that. But um, yeah, Brett Maher at number five, well-deserving being in the top five of this list. Well, we're going to keep talking about Brett Maher because at number seven, I had Brett Money Maher uh, on my list because, of course, I had Brett Maher on my list. Obviously, always been real hype about Brett Maher since day one. I don't know what fake screenshots y'all are sending me, but it's not true. You know what it is? It's the Twitter blue uh, people who like wanted to create <laughs> the fake Jess accounts beforehand. It's that's, yeah. that's the problem. That's the real problem. You're right. You're right. You're so right. No, you know what? And, and I will be, you know, all jokes aside, I will be the first one to say that I was not happy about the signing of Brett Maher, um, you know, after the catastrophe that uh, we remembered him by before this season. And like you said, it's very prove, prove it season. Yeah. He's the epitome of prove it, prove it and prove it well, because this is a different person. This is a different player. And um, hearing him talk today, he's just so calm and collected. So when he has those moments and you see him so excited and so hype, it just makes it even more special because um, 
you know, I asked him specifically, like, what did Dak tell you? Because I know the cutaway after after the second 60-yarder was made was Dak just jumping and being hyped up. So I asked him, you know, what did what did Dak tell you? He's like, honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember what anyone told me. I don't even remember what I was thinking um, because he was just so excited. And, um, no, I think going back to your point about the officiants not knowing what was going on, he didn't even know what was going on. Brett said today he didn't even know what was going on. They were getting ready to go back to the locker room, and then the officials were telling them to go back on the field, and he was kind of like, well, why? I just did that, <laughs> you know? And uh, then that's when they said it's under review. Again, like you're saying, if it would have cost them the game, it would be a much, much bigger conversation. But also you're talking, what if there was an injury during that play? I mean, I negligent – negligent, negligent, negligent. And I just really hope that that was a learning lesson for NFL officiating going forward. Um, on to number six, I had tank and I really hate that he's this low in my list. Um, but again, 10 was hard to pick y'all. Like we could have had a top 20 ranking this week. Um, tank. Oh my goodness, man, this, this man just continues to impress me week in and week out. You're talking about the guy who came out and made kind of a media frenzy on Thursday because he said, yep, my foot's re-injured. I'm hurting again. I'm pretty banged up. Just so openly, right? And talked about, you know, the fracture that he had in his foot and everyone's freaking out. Is Tink going to play? Is he going to play? Yeah. Oh, he played. Oh, he definitely played. And he played injured? That's Tink injured, everybody. That's him not full force. That's him playing with injury um if i stub my toe i feel like i need to start the whole day over i go back to bed and i just i'm like no it's not gonna happen yeah (laughs) i break my nail and i have i'm crying like i see now i don't have that problem i don't have that problem but i I, I can sympathize it really hurts (laughs) look if y'all have never broken a nail you don't know what pain is okay i'm just saying but um Yeah, going back to Tank, again, these stats don't really show much of his. Um, You Google the stats, it says he has one tackle and one assist. But, of course, he also had that sack. I just think Tank is such an impact player. And I think when the team plays like this, it just makes it so much easier for him to lead this pack. I mean, he is he's the Tank for a reason, right? So, um, let's see, number six, I had Tank. Number five, I had J-Ron Curse. Um, because J-Ron, oh man, he said, yeah, want to welcome me home? Guess what home is now? It is not here. It is uh, at this incredible team. I get to wear a star on my helmet. And man, when he was so petty and did the skull thing to, 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 the, uh, to the fans there, ouch. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I would hate that for me. I would hate to see my team losing like that and then to see a former player doing that. Oh man, just ouch. I mean, I don't really know what else to say, but Jaron is just, he's really coming into his own. And I think this game should give him all the confidence to continue to play like this. The man had a sack. Come on. I mean, he was just all over the place and really just containing everything that he needed to. And I think that was the difference between winning and losing uh, from last week to this week was the guys were playing what they needed to play. They were, they were on their man, they were doing what they needed to do, and they weren't trying to make every single thing happen. They were all playing what they needed to, so it naturally happened. And 
man, J. Ron's just such a force. So one of the three-headed monster um, that he likes to ref- refer there um, or reference there. But uh, yeah, number five, I had J. Ron. Who did you have for four, three, and two? I had, and again, this is where it got very tough for me. At four, I had Tony Pollard. Um, I think that, again, back-to-back games, like I mentioned before, of him being an elite running back, he's like, well, I'm also an elite wide receiver too. You, I'm a matchup nightmare. And this is what we've been asking for of Kellen Moore in this offense of use your weapons to their fullest potential. And Tony Pollard, back-to-back weeks, and, and Kyle, Kellen is using them the right way. And Dak, like you just see it, the way that he threw the ball, it's like it, it, he put it in a perfect spot that where only Tony Pollard can get it. And the fact that he's making everybody miss, like nobody's touching him on the way to the end zone. And I think it's just so special to see him and his growth. And again, it'll be up for debate what will happen in the offseason. I think that it is without a doubt that they have to bring him back because you're going to miss so much of this offense of what it could be with him and Zeke. Um, And even too, like Malik Davis, you know, towards the tail end of the game, he got his uh, little bit of, of carries, but he is such an explosive player too. And I know Rico Dowdle is a little injured and stuff, and we talked about this last week, but those are three great running backs that you can have as a core moving forward. And then when, you know, whatever they decide with Zeke and stuff like that, like the business side of things take over, like you can have Pollard and Davis or however it plays out. But I think Tony Pollard needs to be on the team. Uh, At number three, I had Trayvon Diggs. And I have him at that spot because uh, he had the tough assignment of defending not only the number one wide receiver on the Vikings, but the number one wide receiver in the NFL. He needed 77 yards on Sunday to uh, have the most receiving yards in, uh, I think, a player's first four seasons, I think beating Randy Moss or somebody, some record. No, no, no. It's not going to happen on Trayvon's watch. That could happen next week. He has seven more games to, to figure it out. But... Trayvon Diggs has absolutely shut him down in the previous two seasons. And you look at, you know, Trayvon has all these interceptions a season ago. This season, he's not getting as many interceptions. Well, that's just because nobody's throwing to him. I looked and there was some uh, tweet from Marcus Mosier um, on Twitter uh, for PFF. It said that Diggs has allowed just 29 yards in his last two games. And in the last five games, he's only allowed 108 yards. The guy is in that category now of being an elite cornerback in the NFL and he's not getting the turnovers he had the one the absolute almost one-handed interception catch I thought would have been that would have been amazing uh I thought maybe he would have deflected it up to somebody somebody needs to catch that but um and even to the RJ interview that he had uh earlier in the week I mean you could just see he's playing with confidence he's such a reserved guy and he said that he leans on that he was he's uh, a reserved confident guy and he lets his play speak for itself so I love Trayvon Diggs and, and what he was able to do and how meaningful that was to shutting down the Vikings offense they were one dimensional at that point Kirk Cousins like well I can't throw to Jefferson I have to throw to the tight end I have to throw to Thielen handing it off is very difficult but we don't want to do that you know so it was very it it, it pigeonholed the offense when you take your number one wide receiver away and number two I had Dak Prescott and I have Dak at number two because Dak is back he's deserving of the spot last week he was a little bit lower um, but that reminded me of this 2016 Dak Prescott that we saw with Jason Garrett, how Jason Garrett didn't want to overwhelm him. It's like, just do your job. Let the running game, let the defense help us win these games. And I think like what we mentioned in the top of the podcast is that Dak didn't have to do much in that game, but whatever he had to do, he did it with accuracy with, uh, he was so affirm in every single throw that he made. Um, the absolute like dart of a, of a slant pass that he threw to Michael Gallup with the finger catch that he had, 
that was such a, a great throw and, and put it in a spot again where only Michael Gallup could get it and make sure that no Vikings defender could could intercept that ball. So I thought that we saw that Dak play at, a, at a, an elite level, even the, the third down run that he had. It looked like it was almost a pass play, but it ended up being almost like a design run. We need more of that. We need Dak to be very confident in his play, not only as a runner, but as a passer. So that's what I got at number two. Uh, I'm sure you also struggled with your your top four um, just as much as I did. Oh, man, four was uh, just, yeah, it was so hard because, like you said, I also start my list at the top and I work my way down. But, oh, my gosh, it was so hard to pick this week. I will say, spoiler alert, Trayvon is not on my list. And, it, there's nothing personal with it. It's just, again, there were so many good things going on. We could no, have, I, we could have given 53 names on our list to give everybody credit for that. Cause that was a, yeah. like we talked about, it. it's a complete win from top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not hating on Trayvon. Don't get it twisted. Uh, in fact, I'm really glad you brought him, brought him up and uh, that you brought up that nobody is passing towards him because would you, I wouldn't. I mean, unless you want him to act as a wide receiver, why would you? Um, so, yeah, my number four um, was Tony Pollard. I, we matched there. So, Tony Pollard was my number four as well because, again, just the ability that he had on Sunday's game to confuse the defense to, uh, okay, is he going to run? Is he going to run that way to go? So like, what are we doing here? Are we running or are we passing? The RPO was flawless with Tony Pollard. Oh my goodness. Yay. Love that for him. Um, number three, I had Dorrance Armstrong. I know. I, yeah, I know that's new. Nobody can see my face, but I'm giving like a shocked, uh, type, uh, reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and again, um, I, I believe it was during the broadcast that Tony Romo called him more of an under radar player and it's true. I mean, really I'm looking at some of these post game notes that I have here and says Dorrance Armstrong recorded two sacks and a fumble recovery in today's game. Again, this was being Sunday's game, his second multi-sack game of the season and of his career. He has seven sacks this season, a single season career high. Um, It's just incredible what Dorrance has done this season and um, uh, under the radar. I mean, this is not a guy that you talk about every single day when you're talking about the Cowboys, right? Nobody talks about Dorrance Armstrong enough. And I think, the amount of credit he deserves for the amount he was doing during this game is just endless. So Dorrance Armstrong, you have my flowers at number three, number two. Let's see how similar we think. Very similar. I also had Dak Prescott. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and again, Dak played nearly flawless. I mean, I'm going back to these post game notes again. Uh, Dak Prescott finished Sunday's game, completing 22 of 25 passes for 88% for 276 yards, two touchdowns and a 139.3 passer rating. Um, Hello. Uh, This one also says that uh, Prescott 68 yard touchdown to Tony Pollard has, was a, was his longest toss since a 75 yard touchdown to Amari Cooper in 2018 against the Eagles. So there you go. I mean, Dak was just feeling very vintage Dak. And I, I don't even want to say vintage because I want to say the upgraded model. Um, He's older now. He's wiser. He has a great team and great weapons that all believe in him. It's just when he gets in his head, you can see it. You can tell because that 
that little bit of panic that maybe shines through, you see throughout the entire offense. So he's the tone setter for your offense, obviously, as the quarterback. But he really held his own. He was so composed. He was so collected. And overall, what you saw is a Dak Prescott at his best and just doing what he's great at and just absolutely feeling himself using his legs again. Hello, Dak Prescott. Where are you going? Oh, wait, you're pulling some Romo magic. What was that? Like, it was insane, actually, to sit there and watch again today. I don't know why I didn't see that the first time, but he looked like Tony Romo there for a second. I don't know if you noticed that. He's like running away, running out of the pocket. Rain Dakota Prescott, sir, you're scaring me, but... It's a good kind of scared. I'm excited to see what else he can uh, build upon this season. And the beauty of all of this is that, like we had talked about, I, I believe a couple of weeks ago, is this is Dak's starting point. Because really, at this point, you know what you're getting with all of these quarterbacks across the league because they've been playing the majority of the season. Dak hasn't. So if this is the ground and the base layer that he's setting for this team, y'all, that's scary. That is scary. Number one, I have a feeling that we're we're gonna have one and one. Yeah, when I was when I was thinking about this, I think it was pretty it was pretty obvious. You know, I think that we could both agree who it is. But I I was trying to put myself in Kirk Cousins' shoes. You know, like what I the only thing I can equate it to is I can't imagine what it's like being a gazelle in the savannah as the savannas of Africa. Like. How oh scary, how scared you must be every single day running away from lions. Like that is your life. That is your life to run away all day, every day. You can't even look down to, to take a sip of the water and, Stop. and the little this lake. This turned into an episode of Meerkat Manor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think about that. I'm like, what's worse than running away from a lion every single day? Running away from a pissed off lion. And like Micah Parsons was so angry at himself at the end of the Packers game. Like, you could tell he just wanted it to be the, the following game. Like, he wanted to release all his energy and and rain down whatever, you know, lion powers he has on the Vikings offense. And he played with a purpose on Sunday. Not only did he get the two sacks, but just he was pushing guys into the backfield. He was pushing offensive linemen straight into, Tur- into Kirk Cousins. Should have had three sacks, but Mike is like, nah, you know what? I'm just going to let you go and uh, make have you make a play. I just want I want to get in your mind. I want to get in your brain. Um, and I feel bad because I'm sure he was really – he actually should have had four because even in, in the fourth quarter, Nick Mullins threw a pass and he, and he just hit him as soon as he released the ball. So he should have had a four-sack game. Um, and just from top to bottom, like this reminded me of what it was like when we watched the Bengals game week two when Micah took over it was like this is the player that that we know and we love and I'm just so happy we're along for this ride to see him play and yes we talked about him being battered and injured and you deal with those injuries through a full season and he's playing against bigger offensive linemen who are bigger than him so of course you know if you're putting weight on your knee getting tossed around stuff it's a lot of stress on your body I the one thing I can say maybe we can clean up a little bit of Mike McCarthy is take him out of the game you know in the fourth quarter when the game's out of reach can we do that please I was so nervous and scared I was like he's already getting injured just take him you're already sitting you know other guys Demarcus Lawrence is dealing with stuff like sit Mike I understand it's more probably the sack record he wants to play it's that Jason witness where Jason Garrett was saying well you take his helmet away from well no you do it you're the head coach just do it you know you tell him to sit down and and get ready for Thursday so I look at him and 
TJ Watt came back uh, for the first time last week, and you saw what he did for the Steelers' defense. Or it might have been this week. I believe it was last week. But even against the Bengals this weekend, like the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't the best team in the league. But when they have TJ Watt, the record is phenomenal. It's almost flawless. You know, so he's that type of player. He's a catalyst where if you lose, and that's why I like Micah and Dak at number one and number two, like these are the true MVPs, the MVP of the office of the offense, the MVP of the defense. If you lose either one, you could see what kind of happens. Of course, we saw with Dak when he went down, Cooper Rush was able to step in. But if you lose Micah, like this is the guy who who creates all this energy, getting back to the beginning of what we talked about. This game was won in a minute 52 into the game when he had the strip sack. So it's like, this is the type of player you get down in and down out. And I know we had him at a little lower on our lists earlier in the season. I really don't see him being lower uh, than maybe five for the rest of the year. But again, it all depends on performance. We want to give everybody a fair shot, but I'll let you talk about him a little bit because I'm sure he's at your number one spot. Yeah, absolutely. Who else would be at my number one spot? The lion. I mean, man, I didn't think about that. I never put myself in a gazelle's position ever in my life. It's very, never, yeah, it's, it's a frightening, it's a frightening way to, to think about your life. I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a little scary, but imagine that's how every quarterback feels when they have to face Micah Parsons. So that sucks for them to say at the very least, because man, Micah came out of the gates and said, you really want to talk about this team? Here's something to talk about. And what what minute mark did you say? What? How many minutes? I in? think it was uh, under two minutes. It was like a minute fifty two into the game. Ridiculous! Absolutely ridiculous. Um, this man is just a freak of nature. I don't even, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, obviously. But Micah Parsons is unhuman. I'm convinced. I am convinced he's not human. I, he is just so, so good and so gifted. This is just such a gift for Micah to be able to play like he does. He knows that. He is very humble about it, but he's not humble when it comes to getting your quarterback, y'all. I mean, he is going to get your number every single time. And what we're so lucky to have in Micah is even if he doesn't have a great game, he still has a productive game. And even if it's not the best game with all of these sacks and the fumbles and this and that and this and that, he's still making an impact. He is an impact player that you need on that field. I mean, this is the heart of the defense. Micah Parsons is absolutely the heart of the defense. So, I mean, you said all the great things about Micah. I can't really echo without repeating, and I'm sure the people don't want to hear me do that. So I'm going to spare y'all and just, we can all agree, Micah Parsons is incredible. I mean, possibly, and I mean, you know, Things can happen, but defensive player of the year. I, I'm just, I'm convinced. There's no other player, defensive player, that is better than Micah Parsons. And I will die on that hill. I will buy property. I will build a house. I will die on that hill happily because Micah Parsons is the best. Well, and he's also a great leader and he takes ownership. You know, we saw last week how he said that the run defense will be better. Like we are going to clean this up. And, you know, I, I know Jets fans have had a rough, rough life. Like, I mean, being a gazelle and being a Jets fan are pretty much the same thing. Uh, but for Jets Thank fans, you. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you see what happens when there's pressure 
in a locker room. Zach Wilson goes up to the podium. People are saying, do you think that you let the defense down? The defense held, you know, the Patriots. And I know it's not a Patriots or Jets podcast, but like you, it's a three, three game. And the offense is the reason the Jets had two yards in the second half of that game. I was shocked. And you look when he gets up and he gets asked the question, like, do you feel like you let your team down or let the defense down? He's immediately, no, no, it's not like basically saying it's not my fault. Micah takes ownership when there's problems on the defense. He knows it starts and it ends with him. That's what makes a great leader. He was doing this last season. He's doing it this season. He has Tank as a mentor to him and to show him the ropes with all this stuff. But he's taking on this leadership role. I'm I'm sure that next season we will see um, some sort of leadership. I know like Michael Carter doesn't really do the captain thing, but um, it, it we will see some sort of leadership role. I think with with the Cowboys moving forward with him, and um, yeah, it's it's just so special. And uh, I'm just I'm so happy he's on our team. I could only imagine what it was like for Vikings fans to just see that play. And they were saying that. I know John Machado was saying this on his podcast that the the crowd was so loud when he was going in and on that play the strip sack. Cowboys fans were so excited because they knew he was getting there, and Vikings fans were like, "No, throw the ball, throw the ball! He's right behind you." So it was like equal shared grief, excitement, you know, all the way around. But yeah, I'm just happy he's on. Uh, he's wearing the star on his helmet. The lion will bring out those kind of emotions in you, and uh, you know, what we can hope for going forward is. Thanksgiving Day, nearly upon us, everybody. Um, and if you don't like pumpkin pie, I take it very personal. So if you don't like that, Brandon, we were doing uh, really well. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, this might be the last episode ever of this podcast. Um, that was supposed to be a very smooth transition, but apparently not. Um, <laughs> well, listen, Brandon does we, not like pumpkin pie. But we don't. We, I do. Maybe I don't. Listen, it's not for, mm. it's not for, for me to say on, on the podcast. I mean, you're either Team Jess or Team Brandon with this, so tweet us, let us know. Yeah. Uh, if you like pumpkin pie or not, you're obviously Team Jess, and you're right. If you don't like pumpkin pie, you're obviously Team Brandon, and you're the Vikings. right in your own, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, let us know. But transitioning now to our Thanksgiving Day matchup against the Giants. Brandon, how are you feeling about this matchup initially? Because it's a short week. Again, the Cowboys coming off of a Sunday afternoon, uh, late afternoon game against the Vikings to turn around and play Thursday, uh, which, again, that's doing some basic math here. That's three <laughs> games within 12 days. Um, and I've had to repeat that to myself multiple times to remember that because I'm not great at basic math. But um, it's it's a lot. That's a lot of strain on – all of the teams that have to turn around and play that Thursday game, because again, the giants also having a Sunday game against the Detroit lions. So Brandon, how are you feeling about this game? And how are you feeling about this matchup? Not just about the first time that uh, we saw another dominant Cowboys performance, but even more so this Thursday where the stakes are a little higher. We're a little more into the season. What do you, what are you thinking? Yeah, not only that, but it's also another division game too. And the Eagles won on Sunday giants lost. So you can really gain ground by gaining the two games on the giants because you beat them twice. So I think that's really most important. Um, taking a look at the giants. I rewatched the film. I rewatched the game, the TV copy, and I was watching it while uh, I was getting ready for the Cowboys game. And they ended up losing to the Lions 31 to 18. And it felt close for a little bit. And again, the Cowboys know who the Lions are because they played them earlier in the season. But Daniel Jones had two interceptions in that game, really bad interceptions. And he didn't turn the ball over since week three. 
Like he was playing very efficient football, but yesterday just the Lions' aggression on defense, which we saw firsthand uh, as Cowboys fans, um, they've been playing with that aggression all year, and it got the best of a kind of beaten, battered Giants offensive line. Um, Saquon Barkley also had only 22 yards on 15 carries. I think he averaged just over a yard, uh, and they really the game plan for the Lions was we're going to bottle up Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones, beat us with your legs, beat us with your arm. And they were relying on the fact that they don't have the wide receiver weapons uh, that any of these other teams that they played have. And they were saying, you know what? We're going to bottle up your best offensive player, beat us every other which way. And they weren't able to. And that truly, truly showed. Um, Also, too, Barkley has the second most carries in the NFL right now with 213, which is insane given his injury history. So, I wonder what the longevity is like that for, for him and whether or not they're going to re-sign him in the offseason, but they're really using him a lot. So he looked a little bit slower, I would say, yesterday. But really, Jess and I, we were talking about this in, in the pregame how the, the turnaround time, you deal with a lot of injuries. And the Giants right now, they're dealing with a lot of their own. Adoree Jackson, their star cornerback, went down with a knee injury on a punt return. Uh, his return for Thursday looks highly questionable right now. Um, Wandale Robinson, who was their leading receiver on Sunday, and the rookie kind of is more of a gadget player. Think of a Kadarius Tony, but a little bit better off the field. Um, and he ends up tearing his ACL. He's done for the year, so he's out of the, the game for Thursday. So they're left with Darius Slayton, who didn't play in the first matchup with the Cowboys. So he is their best wide receiver right now. Richie James is playing a little bit. Isaiah Hodgins is another guy who played a little bit too. So they just, I look at, I also called this the Odell Beckham bowl game. You know, we heard on Sunday how Odell kind of is toying between the Giants and the Cowboys right now. And maybe whichever team wins will get Odell Beckham as, as the prize as well as Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but I look at it as the Cowboys want Odell Beckham. The Giants need Odell Beckham. They don't have anybody at the wide receiver position. They're really struggling right now. So I just think for the Cowboys, when it comes down to it, they just need to stick in this with the same game plan that the Lions showed. You know, aggressiveness. Um, their defensive tackle, uh, Lean McNeil, something like that, uh, he had an outstanding game. Um, so attacking the center and the guards, which was the game plan for week three when they played the Giants. And I think that the advantage for the Giants is that Leonard Williams will be playing in this game. He wasn't in the game against the, the Cowboys the first time around, and he showed that he's just as, as as a disruptive player as he was a few years ago when he ended the Cowboys season practically with Andy Dalton in 2020. Um, so I think follow that same game plan. I think for the Cowboys, like we talked about with the injury report, how this illness kind of deals with the locker room, who's going to be available, who's going to be up, who's going to be down on a short week. I think also, too, can the Cowboys play with momentum? You know, you come off of a great win against the Vikings. We saw the Vikings were coming off a great win against the Bills, and they completely dropped the egg at home in their own stadium. Like, Thanksgiving for the Cowboys in previous seasons has been such a letdown. It was the Raiders. It was, I know, the Bills at one point, the Chargers. Like, they haven't won a game, I think, since they played the Washington then Redskins back in, like, 2017, maybe 2016. So it's been a very long time, um, maybe even 2019. But it's been a long time, to say the least. So I think that that would be another thing. And then also, too, um, who's going to step up? You know, who, who's the next Cowboy to kind of get catch our eye? Maybe it's Kevontae Turpin. You know, we've been waiting and, and holding out for a, a punt return or kick return. Maybe he does it in prime time and he gets to eat a turkey leg, you know, after the game is said and done. So those are sort of like the key points I kind of took away from watching 
the not only the Cowboys play the Vikings, but also the 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 Giants play the Lions. So I don't know if anything like that resonates with you. If you are you looking for anything specifically from the Cowboys, like what? And I think also too, run defense wasn't really tested because the Vikings went away from running the ball. So maybe that's an area that we need to still see, especially with Saquon Barkley coming in, and also Daniel Jones still running the ball and again a mobile quarterback they haven't played one in a very long time since Jalen Hurts let's see how that plays out too on Thursday oh you bring up such great great points and you know I was actually I was going to say looking at the quick review of the stats between the Lions and the Giants the Giants had 413 total yards in this game the Lions had 325 uh 324 of the Giants were passing 89 were rushing and then vice versa to the Lions 165 of that was passing 160 rushing yards Third down efficiency was not great for either team. I mean, the Lions were 6 of 13. The Giants were 5 of 13. Total plays, the Lions had 63. The Giants had 72. Penalties, the mustard on the lettuce. Which still makes absolutely no sense, but uh, we we will let it fly. (laughs) Fight me, Brandon, but it does. No, my my point is the Giants had high penalties uh, during this game, eight penalties for 63 yards. The Lions had five penalties for 45 yards. And then we always talk about time of possession and how important that comes down to be. Well, the Lions had the ball for 31 minutes and 48 seconds. The Giants had the ball for 28 seconds and, or 28 minutes, excuse me, and 12 seconds. But here we go. Two interceptions thrown by Daniel Jones. And then, of course, the Lions didn't have any. So all of that being said, I think it starts with shutting down the run. So this will be the test. Like you said, Minnesota really, (laughs) they weren't able to do anything. They were behind the sticks most of the game. And then when they would get a little bit of momentum, they shot themselves in the foot. I mean, whether it was a penalty, whether it was a sack, whether it was whatever, not catching the ball, they just weren't playing great at all. But I think, like you said, this will be the ultimate test of the run defense because Barkley is, he's a threat. He is threat when he gets hot but I do think that coming off of this win was a great great obvious victory for the Cowboys but I think it was a morale booster to show them that yeah when you take things back to your basics you do your job you stick to what you're supposed to do things work and things work well this is a very well cogged machine just the bigger picture of it it has to just spin it has to just spin but um no I think the key here is shut down the run And then, of course, put Daniel Jones in the position where he has to start panic passing, and then you easily, easily get those picks. I mean, I think that's just kind of the recipe for any good game with a good running running back and a a good running back core like the Giants have. So that's really my takeaways. I haven't watched the Lions and Giants game yet, but I have a full, full morning of studying ahead of all of that. So I'm sure if anything else comes to mind, you will get a text from me about it, and uh, we will chat all about it. But I think really overall, what we need to see from the Cowboys is to finish off this 12-day stint with a win. Because like you said, this is a division that the Cowboys are climbing back up with. And, oh, I wish the Giant, the, uh, the Eagles had lost on Sunday because that would have helped so, so much. But they didn't. These are the cards we're dealt with. And here we are. Second place in the NFC East as it stands right now. Your Dallas Cowboys are so not too shabby. Not too bad at all. There's just one point I want to add before we close out is that, like I mentioned, just bury the Giants. 
Like just, you know, you can end their season right here because looking at their next few games, like I mentioned this after the podcast last week, like I didn't think the Packers were going to win their next three games after the Cowboys. That's why it was so crushing for the Cowboys not to win. You saw that they did not look like the same team against the Titans on Thursday night football and the Giants after they play, they play the commanders twice. They have to play the Eagles twice. Then they have to play the Vikings and the Colts, you know, some form or fashion, how those games are organized. And when you look at the teams, like, Maybe they have a shot playing the Colts. Division games, of course, are always up and down, but the Eagles are a better team, I believe. They're they're just more of a complete team than the Giants. The Commanders all of a sudden are catching fire, and they're, they have such a strong defensive front where they don't allow teams to run the football. And guess what? That's the Giants' strength. If you force Daniel Jones to throw the ball like Jess mentioned— He's not able to do it. That's how the Giants have won all these games is they're leaning on Saquon Barkley, these 213 carries. You, the minute you take that away, they don't know what to do. That's why I was saying Odo Beckham is more needed in New York, but we want him in Dallas. That's that's first and foremost. Um, but the the Colts in, in the, like the, the team that they are right now, they're playing better football right now too. And the Vikings, we just played them, and they're a better team too. So you can completely derail the Giants' season and take all momentum away at, if you beat them on Thursday. And then again, you get this extended mini buy coming up where players can rest a little bit longer before their next game. So I think if if we just get out of this game, like Jess said, close out this 12 game stretch, three games in 12 in 12 days, get it with a win. You end up two and three in that stretch. I think we're all happy with that. And then we can just enjoy Thanksgiving dinner, just relax a little bit um, and eat our pumpkin pie. Right. I guess that's what we will be doing. And maybe I'll pass it off to somebody else. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to have to have a talk with Lucy about this. This is just unacceptable that you don't like pumpkin pie. I don't think she likes it either. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, man. yeah there's going right. to be a generation of pumpkin pie haters in my family. Sad, <laughs> sad, sad. Um, but, no, I agree. I think just bury the Giants, take their name, take their numbers this season, and really you are at the point of the season where every win matters so much. Every loss matters even more. So um, especially when the NFC East is just so tight right now, it's going to matter. Whoever wins or whoever loses within these divisional games, it already matters. It's definitely going to be a defining factor down the road with how tight things are in the NFC East. So with that, Brandon, we continue to go over our time. So let's wrap it up here because I'm sure the people are sick of hearing us talk and they want to go buy all of the ingredients for a beautiful pumpkin pie. So, Brandon, where can the people find you when they want to tweet you for being a pumpkin pie hater? Uh, it is at uh, Jess Navarez underscore. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it is at Brandon is right. W-R-I-T-E. That's because my opinion is usually right, but in the journalistic sense, not with my pumpkin pie takes. I will leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so factual. Uh, this guy writes so many great articles. If you haven't checked it out already, please do. Uh, honored to absolutely work with you every week it's uh and listen it's It's thanksgiving week you know we're very thankful for the platform that we have but i'm also very thankful for the wonderful co-host that you are i know usually when people do this for a living sometimes you you butt you butt heads and it's not always a perfect match but for you and i we get along we're we're tony romo lovers we're brett maher lovers Cavante turpin through and through we're we're (laughs) the bus drivers for all those uh lovely buses yeah, we we are. It's not the caboose. What is the front of the train? Uh, <laughs> the engine. It? We're the engine. You know? We're the engine. Yeah, Y'all can be in the caboose <laughs> of all of those trains that Brandon mentioned. Uh, you can find me at Justin Bars underscore on Twitter to uh, 
keep up with all of the madness going on uh, in all things World of Cowboys. So until then, have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Please stay safe. Enjoy the rest of your week leading into Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you all next week. See ya. 